peace, namaste, and shalom. Everybody out there in dreamland, I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial Earth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. Greetings everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. You are listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan Podcast. I am your host, the Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting to you from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. Thank you all very much out there in dreamland, every single one of you, listeners new and old alike. The only link you'll ever need to follow me on all my social media or to get access to it as well as notifications for my uploads I upload daily on Instagram, my flagship social media page, but also Twitter TikTok I think that's about it but also you can find links to my merch store to my YouTube channel, to my pod page website for my podcast. You'll find all of that through the only link you'll ever need. Link tree slash beyond top secret Texan. All lowercase, all one word. Link tree slash beyond top secret Texan. All lowercase, all one word. The only link you'll ever need. You can find every single one of my projects, every single one of my social media platforms, every single one of my podcast pages, merch store pages, etc. Through Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. Today, we're going to be speaking about a very incredible UFO case in the spirit of UFO disclosure. And I'm going to be recording this as the first in an installment that's a continuation of the work I have been doing, you know, uh, double time, basically, since the beginning of 2022, which is speaking about UFO cases historically that have been overlooked or relegated to obscurity, but which are significant in this entire discipline of research and as pivotal to disclosure as anything that has happened on the government level these reported cases stretch back throughout history and intentionally are included because they are being intentionally forgotten or ignored 
by the mainstream UFO, UAP, you know, uh, self-elected committee of researchers and specialists, etc. So let's continue. Post-haste. Each one of these installments will focus on one encounter each, so as not to overload, but to also be relatively very short, digestible episodes for you, the greatest audience out there in Dreamland. Today, from the Nightcap Files, we're going to be talking about the Fran Ridge case. The investigator's report of the Fran Ridge case. Also known as the Palermo incident. That originated in New Jersey, October 1962. Sometime in October 1962 in NORAD, Region 21... Something slower than an incoming missile, but faster than our jet interceptors, was violating airspace all the way from New Jersey, Pencil- New Jersey through Pennsylvania, New York, and on into Canada, and ultimately Alaska. And we were ready to use tactical nuclear weapons, if necessary, to stop it. A friend of mine was a radar expert and had been a defense radar operator at the time. Years before he died, he told me of this incident during the Cuban Missile Crisis, which fully illustrates the seriousness of the situation. Plus gives us an insight into who was or was not the intelligence behind the UFO phenomena. This incident was just one of many, but a very interesting one indeed. But first, let me set the stage. An F-106 is an all-weather interceptor, which was developed from the Convair F-102 Delta Dagger platform. It was was designed from the ground up as an interceptor. It was originally designated as the F-102B, following its predecessor, the F-102 Delta Dagger, but was redesignated the F-106 because of its extensive structural changes and the more powerful Pratt & Whitney J-57 engines included. The first F-106 Alpha flew on December 26, 1956. A total of 277 F-106 Alphas and 63 F-106 Bravos were built. The F-106 used a Hughes MA-1 electronic guidance and fire control system. After takeoff, the Mike Alpha-1 could be given control of the aircraft to fly it to the proper altitude and attack positions. Then it could fire the Genie air-to-air nuclear rocket and the Hughes AIM-4 Falcon missiles break off from its attack run and return the aircraft to the vicinity of its base. The pilot would then take control again for the landing. The maximum speed was 1,587 miles per hour. Its cruising speed was a comfortable 650 miles per hour. Its range 
was 1,500 miles for the Alpha model and 575 miles for the Bravo model. If the reader wishes to skip the next two segments, I'm oh, sorry, this is actually what the report says. Concerning the F-102 and the SAGE system, the report context will not suffer. The Convair F-102 Delta Dagger had the primary mission of intercepting and destroying enemy aircraft. It was the world's first supersonic all-weather jet interceptor and the U.S. Air Force's first operational Delta Wing aircraft. The F-102 made its initial flight on October 24, 1953 and became operational with the Air Defense Command in 1956. At the peak of deployment in the late 1950s, the F-102s equipped more than 25 ADC squadrons. In a wartime situation, after electronic equipment on board the F-102 had located the enemy aircraft, the F-102's radar would guide it into position for attack. At the proper moment, the electronic fire control system would automatically fire the F-102's air-to-air rockets and missiles. However, performance-wise, the maximum speed was only 810 miles per hour, with a cruising speed of 600 miles per hour, and its range was 1,000 miles per hour, 1,000 miles, with a service ceiling of only 55,000 feet. The Sage semi-automatic ground environment was the military response to the perceived Cold War threat that came into being almost immediately after World War II. The concern was for the air defense of North America. SAGE was the technical answer to the need to convert raw radar data to digital form and to display it in real time. This enabled SAGE operators to detect and direct the intercept of unknown aircraft penetrating the airspace of the North American continent. The Air Defense Command of the United States Air Force had the command authority to operate and maintain the SAGE system, semi-automatic ground environment. The Massachusetts Institute of Technology's MIT Lincoln Laboratory was responsible for the system design of SAGE, both hardware and software. The computer the AN-FSQ-7 was built and installed by IBM. SAGE was perhaps the start of the military-industrial complex that exists to this present day. The origin of much of the computer technology existing today had its beginnings in the SAGE program. This incident took place over a wide area, but in and around the 21st NORAD region. My friend, informant, who told me this story was stationed near Palermo, Air Force Station, New Jersey, at a small and remote radar site, running a height finder, an AN-FPS-6. In the region, there were eight height finder radars devoted to SAGE in the air defense sector, and seven of those had manual lock-ons, in this case, because the uncorrelated target known as the UT the Uniform Tango was overflying the lobe patterns of the search radars. Palermo was a backup interceptor control. Buick Phase 1 site. 
There never was a visual sighting of this object, but this unknown worried a lot of high-ranking people. There were a lot of witnesses, including many officers. The UFO that he and many others tracked that late afternoon had originally spawned an alarm from New Jersey and Pennsylvania on into New York and later into Canada with the entire air defense sector on high alert with a nuclear-armed F-106 scrambled to intercept. His sight became involved when the alert was handed off to the Boston Air Defense Sector. The object was painted by the AN-FPS-6 height finder radar with a radar reflectivity similar to an F-106 or larger in size. By the time the UFO had crossed into Rome, New York State, airspace, it was cruising straight and level at 73,600 feet and was pulling away from an F-106 interceptor running at full afterburner, which was moving at Mach 2.3. All this time, they were listening to the communications from the direction center, which was reading the data back to them as they were involved in the active tracking What really impressed my friend was that there were two F-102s in the air on the scramble mission. But at New York, once the F-106 was airborne, the UFO broke off its pattern. He told me it had a sixth sense. The UFO knew, apparently, that the F-102s couldn't reach its altitude, but the F-106 could. The F-106 took a duty a radar lock-on which took control from the pilot and stayed at full afterburner for 22-23 minutes but never saw or ever caught up with the UFO. The 102 landed with 16 inches less tailpipe than it started with but not before flaming out at 75,000 feet at full power. A pretty scary situation for any pilot. The last they heard was that the UFO had passed into Canadian airspace and they had nothing that could reach its altitude. Within a few hours, the incident had tapped out of the entire Alaskan air defense system, which had everything in the air to intercept, including all the deuces, F-102s, and the sixes, F-106s, they had to muster. 40 years ago, something really was tracked by at least seven defense radars. This occurred during one of the most dangerous times in our human history, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Although they call it 13 days, this Cuban Missile Crisis itself took in the best part of three weeks. We were just not aware of it. The object was not a Russian missile. ICBMs moved 10 times faster than it was recorded. It wasn't a jet, as it moved twice as fast, at least as our jets. It wasn't ours, and it wasn't Russian. They knew it then, but we all know for sure now. There was no visual sighting, but the UFO was 14 miles up and moving faster than anything we had in the air Was this an isolated incident? I really doubt it. 
the UFO may have been in the wrong place at the wrong time, but if I hadn't been a field investigator for the Center for UFO Studies and State Director for MUFON at the time that I got this report, this incident would not have come to light, which incident we have the only the tip of the iceberg in terms of accounts. In the year 2000, there was a nail-biting documentary released concerning the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. The title was 13 Days, and it reminded me of this case as I investigated in the 1980s, but never filed or published. One of our major concerns had always been the possibility of accidental nuclear war caused by jittery air defense radar men on either side of the Cold War mistaking UFOs for the enemy's missiles or bombers. Up to the time of the CMC, this was the closest the world had come to an all-out nuclear war. Until, or the Cuban Missile Crisis, this was the closest the world had come to an all-out nuclear war until Russia invaded Ukraine in 2022. But fresh in my mind was the time I lived through that early crisis, not knowing that it was a miracle that we made it through up to that time, there had been 20 mishaps that might have started an accidental nuclear war. Twelve of those mishaps occurred during the Cuban Missile Crisis's three weeks. End rep. End report. Was this UFO caught in the wrong place at the wrong time? Was it intentionally flying across North America almost as if playing with the air defenses of Cold War era NATO and NORAD air defense forces were they investigating curious as to the heightened hostilities that could have provoked a all-out doomsday event between Russia and the United States, a World War III of nuclear Armageddon proportions. Were they monitoring us for our own good? Were they taking advantage of the chaos? Were they called as if under duty and responsibility? to oversee and to show themselves and their power to us during our time of almost suicidal arrogance and our own military's might? Or were they showing themselves as a beacon of hope and a window into the great beyond which mankind has been ignorant of since its very inception. These are mysteries. But the fact that there was such a heavy military presence and that it was seen by so many different ground radar stations but was beyond the physical perception of even the pilot scrambled with nuclear-armed air-to-air missiles to intercept this foreign craft. So there is no question of its reality. 
and it serves as an emphasis that not everything that is real can be captured with camera or naked eye. And that UFOs, even in the military, with their great technology, often leave no trace of ever existing at all. Thank you very much for listening to this UFO case from the Nightcap Archives. Thank you all very much indeed. I've been the Beyond Top Secret Texan. You've listened to me broadcast from the third coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. Thank you all very much out there in Dreamland. Peace out.